welcome to Talking Property, our CBRE podcast series, where our team of experts, clients, and industry specialists share insights into the way we live, work, and invest through the lens of commercial real estate. Hosting this episode is Samir Chopra, CBRE's Pacific Head of Research. Today, we'll talk about construction costs, which are one of the top of mind issues for our industry after significant price escalations in the past 24 months. Uh, Recall the output for construction costs was a key theme for our 2023 Pacific Market Outlook report. We took the non-consensus view that construction costs could face deflationary pressures. So to talk us through their views on what to expect this year, I'm joined by Matt Byrne, the newly appointed CEO of construction company Roberts Co. and Tiffany Emmett. She's a senior economist at Turner & Townsend. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Samir. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Samir. Pleasure to be here. Great. Um, Maybe I'll turn to you first, Matt, and Tiffany, please join in as well. 2022 saw double-digit type increases in construction costs nationally. Based on sort of early trends in 2023 for this year, do you expect we'll get that similar double digits, single digits, or could we even get flattish construction costs? Yeah, thanks, to me. Look, I think it's certainly an interesting time we're in from what everyone's been through the last, the volatility of the last few years, and especially the last 12 months where a lot of people have been caught out and you've seen the effect of that. Really, what we're seeing at the moment is probably really a mixture of single digits and potentially flat. So it's quite an interesting discussion where there's still some what I call uncontrollable spikes and, and risks in the market with some international supply chains. That's very hard to, to put your finger on it and forecast correctly. But there's also some potentially, I'm not saying going backwards at all, but potentially levelling in some areas. And, and look, I was even involved in some tender reviews uh, for some projects in Sydney and Melbourne uh, before they sort of go in, I was quite surprised to see a bit of levelling in the Rio price starting to come through and a recommendation even from our team, dare I say it, and don't quite, <laughs> quite me, but uh, I'll quote myself, but that um, we might not put some escalation on that because we expect potentially a fall in that area, but we haven't seen that fall yet. And the validity of, of the pricing from the suppliers is still 24 hours or, or thereabouts. So it's still hard to, to lock them down long term. And that's when you get a clash with you know, the contracts that we're entering into that take sometimes a while to solidify and to actually move ahead. So, so we're really seeing a bit of a mix. I'd say definitely not double digits. We can confidently say that from our point of view, from what we're seeing, we are expecting uh, single digits, some flat, but still some spikes in some areas, you know, such as where you've got a high energy usage. Um, you know, Giprock, for example, they've had, I think, two sort of 30% increases in supply in the last six months. And really the subcontract market can't forecast that. And so it's to do with, we believe, it's to do with manufacturing and, you know, the gas prices in the supply chain and so forth, really pushing that up. So really trying to put your finger on that. We can forecast labour increases. You know, EBAs are getting resolved now, so we can probably reasonably forecast where that will be the next few years. But the supply costs where you've got a high energy usage is where it's, we're getting some spikes. And and then, of course, you get the world events that we've all been through uh, that you just can't control. You know, if there was, you know, an escalation further in Ukraine, dare I say, uh, you know, further lockdown in China, another shipping company decides to get a ship stuck in either the Suez or Panama Canal and make money out of that, mind you, which I wouldn't go on about, or, a, you know, another escalation of, of sort of world tension. I think that's the risk that we can't control and we're looking to speak to clients about at the moment. Tiffany? 
And just to add on Matt's point, that's certainly what we're seeing as well at the moment. Building material costs for a lot of them have actually started to stabilise. Part of what I do is look at statistics and the ABS and, and looking at those price indicators. And we are actually seeing that quite a lot of prices are stabilising and in some instances falling. So things like reinforcement, structural steel, glass, electrical materials, all of those sorts of components that can be sourced internationally or, or come through global supply chains, we're actually seeing that a lot of prices are starting to now come down. So I think that is a positive indicator in terms of the level of growth that we're likely to see over the course of the year. Over the last couple of years, I mean, a big driver of what's increased prices has been around building material costs. So if we're going to see some stabilisation with those material costs, then we're likely not going to see the same level of growth or escalation that we have over the last couple of years. As Matt said, the challenges where we are seeing prices continue to rise is around labour costs. Uh, so there's a big shortage of workers right around construction markets in Australia at the moment and labour costs are starting to rise quite sharply, particularly on construction projects and also in preliminary costs. So things like overheads, insurance, basically anything that's got to do with CPI or is flagged to CPI, that's where we're starting to see prices really start to increase. And I think we'll continue to see that over the course of the year. Yeah, we've been involved in meetings the last few weeks and sort of forecasting an increase in insurance costs, especially PI and so forth, um, with the, the lack of diversity on the market there at the moment and, and the overhead costs, it's spot on, Tiffany, that's what we're seeing as well. It's interesting, one of the tenders I was in of project reviews, we potentially discussed a delayed procurement strategy for some trades to sort of, should we look at riding out the next six months before we let them to potentially stabilise the trades? So um, that discussion, we haven't implemented that yet, but that actual discussion, I haven't seen for a long time. <laughs> so, so that's a, a potential positive sign, but there's still, you know, it's not there yet. And certainly um, one of the interesting things that we're seeing as well is that while the data isn't necessarily telling us that wages are going up really sharply, it's in all of these sign-on bonuses and big site allowances and, and data that's not actually reported in the official statistics where we're seeing a lot of these price increases occur, particularly around construction labour and those trades that are the most in demand. Yeah. And the... Um you know, speaking to some major electrical contractors the last few weeks, Tiffany, and that's um, exactly what the message that we're getting while they've signed the new EBAs. And it might only say a incremental 2.5% increase as it goes for a consolidated five in the year or a little bit more. The real cost in the first year is something like 16 or 17% with, with meal allowances and site allowances and so forth and all those other hidden costs going up and then before getting into a, a regular sort of routine from there. So that's um, – and that's really now across the board now with the – tier one electrical contractors throughout the country. So that's in play right now. Has any of the migration helped ease some of this labour constraint in the market? From what we're seeing at the moment, Samir, is that even though we have had the return of international migration and there are certain skills that are on the skills priority list and a lot of them are in construction, it's going to take a lot of people to actually fill some of the gaps sufficiently that we have in the market at the moment. Um, Infrastructure Australia actually released a report last year which said that the pipeline of work ahead is going to require a workforce double the size of what we have here in the domestic market. So that just highlights, you know, the deficiency we have in terms of the skills that we need to fulfil these projects and the demand. And the, the perception of Australia internationally is, is a place to come and work 
it's probably changed dramatically in the last three years as well to me from some feedback we've received, you know, in comparison to maybe Canada or, or somewhere like that where you're really going to be stuck to, you're potentially exposed to state governments acting alone, um, deep lockdowns, people stuck in mid, mid flights on the way to Perth being turned back, uh, all those horror stories in Melbourne, the you know, most lockdown city in the world. There's repercussions internationally as, as a place to come and work is still around. So I think there's a, I agree with Tiffany, a lot of work to go before those numbers really have an effect on the supply chain. It's an interesting point that you raise about, you know, this big jump in uh, infrastructure spending, Tiffany. Um, so infrastructure spending is clashing with commercial and residential construction needs. Do you see any scope for one of those three components to sort of come down, to sort of balance out this huge demand that's out there in infrastructure? Yeah, so look, certainly what we're seeing at the moment is there is a bit of a pullback from the private sector in terms of new investment. We have interest rates going up quite quickly, uh, which means higher borrowing costs. Construction costs are surging at the moment. We've seen, you know, nearly a 30% increase over the last couple of years across the commercial sector. And also there's severe labour shortages as well. So there aren't the people to actually deliver a lot of these projects. And that's dampening the appetite of some clients in the private sector. So while these economic challenges continue and while we continue to see this volatility and uncertainty, we may actually see a bit of softening in the private sector. The public sector, on the other hand, they're pressing ahead. There is a huge pipeline of work coming through, not just in major transport infrastructure projects, but also in things like health and education. You know, there's a huge amount of spending that's continuing to come through. And while we might see a bit of softening from the private sector, it's likely that this strong spend from the public sector is going to keep markets quite active over the next couple of years. Matt, are you seeing a lot of work from government and is yeah. overstation development sort of some of the most attractive markets out there? Well, yeah, so agree with Tiffany, uh, absolutely on target there with the government work and, and just some comments on the public sector. Yeah, I've got some really sort of interesting stories, which I can't name the projects or the clients, but we've had yeah, we've probably seen five private developments fall over in Sydney in the last four months that we've been involved with, three of them where we've actually won the bid. We've won the bid, got through the process, and then at a point in time the you know, developer has realised their feasibility is in trouble because of all these rising costs, and the end result is the project's not going ahead. And so all that time on the market going through the process, the expenditure, the investment from the tenderers, the client themselves, the finances, everything like that, and to have those stop, we're seeing that quite a lot. And also, not just for feasibility reasons, but for you know approval reasons with governments and, and so forth. So not sort of really, you know, with authorities and, and delays and, and all sorts of things. So there's there's a real mixed bag privately. So we're you know we've certainly got a focus to ensure a good diversification regionally with government work across the government sectors, and that includes you know potentially you know, stations and OSDs and, and things like that as well. So. I think that's um, most building companies will be looking to do that at the moment to ensure a stability in the pipeline in the next few years. There are some developers that are that do have a big workbook and moving ahead, and they'll if a smart you'll partner with one or two of those. And so there is a few that we're speaking to that that are moving ahead. But you know the tender lists are big. Uh, along what we can see, we went through the prospects here yesterday uh, for our New South Wales region. It was quite large, but really had to relook at that and then how many of them are really real and are really going to move ahead even after bid. So we're, there's a whole discussion point required about how builders should engage with developers and so forth early on and, and sort of check feasibilities and, and have they got the real numbers and you know have they got the latest data really from the market where they are. 
as to um, how they should move ahead. And Matt, are you able to source raw materials now on time? Because, you know, say a year ago, year and a half ago, there was a lot of supply chain constraints. Is stuff now appearing? Is there enough stuff there? Yeah, I think so. Um, our markets in, in Sydney, Melbourne, our projects at the moment are working through fine uh, with supply. I haven't had any supply challenges elevated in the time that I've been here at Roberts Co. Whereas start of last year, obviously, you know, uh, my previous role, we still had, you know, some switch gear and different things stuck in China, still waiting to get to the port. And you're really micromanaging, not just to get out of the port, but to get to the port itself, you know, to, to get in line with everyone else. But what we are starting to see in that is we are, and I'm sure a lot of other you know, cohort are taking a, a more active role in the supply chain, making sure we're overseas looking at things uh, and really looking to diversify that supply, which should result in some more surety on projects going forward now that the, the world's open again and we're, and we're moving. So so in a nutshell, we're not seeing anything really um, stopping at the moment and we're really looking to dive deeper into the supply chain to get a bit more control. Yeah. Just a question for you on overall tender pipelines. Are you seeing more bidding activity, bidding activity slowing down? Is it taking longer, you know, from the time you initiate on a bid to the time you close out on a bid? Like what's going on with bidding timelines and bidding activity? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the pipeline and, and then how long it takes to come to market and, and to turn into a real project. Yeah, and that is taking longer, we're finding. Like, that's a constant discussion. Like, if we were to allow in bids the expected time from after the bid goes into before you really sign the contract, it's compared to where it was 15 or 20 years ago, it's multiple out three or fourfold now. We've had multiple projects in Sydney delayed by six plus months which is a real effect on a business like ours that's growing and to try and substitute a project. Yeah, while it's great, still some revenue or margin bank that moves into the next financial year, but it, it creates a hole for that year and then you've got staff holding costs and so forth and how much you invest and what you do there. So so those costs are really hard to realise and, and to have discussions with, with clients about. This is a healthy, positive, tensional discussions that you, you can have, but it's they're real discussions. And, and so we are seeing that it does take longer to get to market. And as I was saying before, it also, some of them don't get to market. Like we've had a project that was circa 200 million that we won the tender for. Client came back, you know, seeking 20 or 30 million VE. The team worked hard to find it. And that's really hard to find on a project of that size. You're really skinning the cat to not much being left there. That is a really tight project. Team did great, really great relationship. But at the end of the day, they couldn't still get the feasibility across the line. So, what advice have they got to get the cost that wrong um, at the start, you know, when the tender process went for six or seven weeks, you know. So so we're seeing a number of those stop in the private world, yes, but not the public sector world. Uh, as Tiffany was saying, they're moving ahead. Still some challenges more in the public sector world with approvals. So it's more the, you know, SSDA approvals or, or dare I say, again, in the council approvals and so forth, and especially in New South Wales is problematic and taking time and, and authority approvals whatever it might be, is uh, causing some delays to a number of projects. And then, Tiffany, maybe one for you. You know, There's been um, this pickup in news flow around insolvencies in the construction sector. Is this just a return to normal or are we seeing elevated levels of insolvencies? 
Yeah, so a lot of the insolvencies that have occurred are happening for a range of reasons, but primarily it's because of the cost increases that we've seen over the last couple of years. In a lot of instances, clients and builders had entered into a fixed price contract and with costs increasing so substantially, a lot of builders actually made a loss on their projects and there are still projects coming through the pipeline that that are being impacted by this. So that's really eroded margins. It's really impacted cash flow for a lot of businesses. We're not just seeing it with builders as well, it's subcontractors as well on the lower levels and also the smaller businesses where cash flow is a big challenge for them. So certainly I think that now moving forward, builders are being a lot more careful with risk and we're seeing a lot more risk mitigation strategies being incorporated. So whether that's things like a rise and fall provision in contracts or really having a better understanding of what's happening in the market, that's really started to pick up. So moving forward, we're probably not going to see the same level of insolvencies that we have already, but possibly there still could be a handful more to come through where businesses are just operating at this loss and and really it's only a matter of time. So I think moving forward, um, it is a bit more of a positive outlook and certainly with the losses that we've had in terms of insolvencies, that does impact a market in terms of the pool of available workers and that also impacts tendering activity as well. But hopefully the situation should improve over the next sort of 12 to 24 months. Matt, is it a big issue? Like when you're when you're looking at a project and scoping it out, yeah, no, absolutely, and and um, Tiffany's correct there. So the from what we're seeing, like we're hoping there's not, whether it be subcontractors, builders, or, or smaller businesses, we hope there's not uh, any more insolvencies, but we think there will be. There has been some quite recently, quite large ones. Um, yeah, subcontractors that have gone down, and as we know, some builders quite recently nationally. So it's very alarming, and I think the tail of the last few years is certainly going to sting a few people, and cash is king, basically. They don't have the cash balance and, and can't trade their, their way through. Uh, they're going to go. So we expect most builders and subcontractors' profits and margins this financial year would be dramatically down from where they've been and, and potentially still a tail in the next financial year as well. So there's certainly those projects still going. You know, Our belief at the moment is my belief it's really time to sort of uh, us builders especially to have a good look at ourselves and lock down and, and be serious and have a serious talk to clients about, you know, rise and fall provisions and risk going forward, unrealistic bids and unrealistic margins. You can't survive on on a 2 or 3% margin on a bid. A business just can't survive. And so it's not a dirty word to talk about a margin. And, and most clients will welcome a discussion from what I've experienced in recent months about, you know, how do we approach this the right way and how do we add value to your project rather than just going for the cheapest price and can you select on, on value rather than price? Um, yeah, that might be the same people and sometimes are really trying to, to work through that with clients and have that intelligent discussion. And we've got some developers that are, that are there at the moment. So, you know, I had a phone call from a developer the other day really trying to work with us. We're doing a project for them in Melbourne at the moment. They're locking down their pipeline the next 12 months. They're not starting anything, but uh, we don't believe, but they really want to stay in touch, um, share knowledge, they're open to us if we see a subcontractor in trouble. They want to talk to us about it and how they can help us because it helps them. So that's a really positive and pragmatic discussion that we're seeing from some progressive developers, which is really good to see. But, you know, still, um, this time in the private world, there's a, there's a race to the bottom, which I think as us builders, we've got to push back collectively and ensure that 
We also do the same with our subcontractors. A, a good talk to a, a couple of national sort of tier one contractors the last few weeks and they're pushing us to make sure when we put them on a list, it's, it's like for like, it's tier one subbies on a list, not not don't sneak a tier three in and expect their price to drop down to that tier three level because that's what you see as some of the insolvencies in the subcontract market. We've had one and um, two of our jobs and the price to replace them goes into the millions. And to be fair, we probably didn't have them on the right price at the start. You know, we're part of the blame there. We didn't have the right price at the start. We took a lower price. That went up the line. Developers see that as the market, but it's an unrealistic market. And also the risk profile that we've had in other conversations from developers or even even some government bodies dare I say, well, this is the market you need to accept this. Well, it's not actually the market's been unrealistic the last few years. We need to have another talk about that. So, But you can have a sensible talk. Um, we talked about escalation just before. You can pick out the spikes, one or two spikes, not across the board, and really do a paint going. You know, very high drops, they should also get the benefit of that at the same time. So I think that would be really, really good discussion, and that's what we're looking to do with some clients and, and also how we can partner with them based on value rather than a straight-out drag race to a cost. So that's that's what we're looking to encourage across the board. And as construction costs are moving at very different paces around the country. We're hearing Brisbane is really tight. You know, there's a, there's probably a little bit more capacity in Sydney and Melbourne. But what's your perspective? Yeah, Brisbane, look, Brisbane is really hot right now. There is a lot happening there. We've obviously got quite a lot of investment from the state government, which is driving a lot of new projects across health, across infrastructure, those sorts of things. But we're also seeing quite a big uptick from the private sector too. There's a lot of major developments going on in residential, commercial, these big projects that are happening across the city. And we also have the fact that the Olympics are coming there as well. So getting ready for the Olympics and all of the planning that's going into these new venues and upgrades to venues as well. So there's a lot happening there. Certainly in Melbourne and Sydney, it's probably not as hot as what we're seeing in in Brisbane, but there's still quite a lot of activity underway. There's still big pipelines and backlogs of work to be completed and that are still ongoing at the moment. But we're probably going to see a little bit of softening over the next two years in terms of construction activity. And this is going back to that point of the private sector. So the private sector, obviously, we're seeing less new investment. We're seeing some projects get held. So that's going to ease some of the pressure on markets in terms of market capacity. Yeah, look, we agree. We're seeing that as well. Uh, While there's there's still a pipeline in Sydney and Melbourne and a little bit different, you know, whereas Melbourne's is sort of a fair bit CBD-wise, Sydney's a bit more spread out and regional and, and quite a mix. But Brisbane's certainly taking off. We're not in the Brisbane market. We don't have any plans to go to the Brisbane market for different reasons. But what we're concerned about there is the amount of work coming up in Brisbane you know, even the, the major projects such as the Gabbery development, the waterfront, everything that's going on at the moment is really going to be that the supply chain can't handle that up there. So there'll be a drag of supply chains heading north. There'll be a drag of, of skilled project directors, engineers and everything looking to go north. So how Sydney and Melbourne manage that going forward will be an interesting challenge, I believe. So because I don't think that supply chain in Brisbane can, can manage the work that's coming up at all. It's, they're used to a lot smaller market, so it's a dramatic shift up in that market. But um, down in Sydney and Melbourne, you know, the, I think I think in the last year, I think the tower crane index was actually up, but we're seeing potentially Melbourne a bit drier supply now, so needing to partner with the right developers and and also and public sector work. And Sydney, the challenge definitely is in the, in the private market, as I was talking about before, where the jobs actually really go ahead. 
even after a tender versus, you know, the, the pipeline in health, the pipeline in schools, uh, the pipeline with, you know, metro and, and transport at the moment, uh, major, major projects all happening in the next four years that needs a really solid pipeline of tier one, tier two subcontractors, but they're also required up in Brisbane. So I think that could potentially lead to some pricing escalation in the tier one, tier two subcontract market because of a simple supply and demand, but we'll we'll need to monitor that closely you know, going forward. And my final question, I suppose, is, uh, Matt, I'll start with you and, and then move to your techniques. You know, what would be your best advice to a developer who's about to kick off a new project? Yeah, look, my, my best advice, and we have had this discussion with some developers the last few weeks, is sort of really be smart about the early advice you get, early partnering. We know everyone seems to want to you know do a, a drag race to a bid, which is what's been happening for 30 years. But look what it's doing to the market, to be frank about it. We've got insolvencies across the board. We've got probably more to come. It's not good for anyone. It's not good for developers. It's not good for the market. It's not good for the economy. So I think um, if they can really focus on a partner that, that provides value to the development, you know, a number of us contractors are more than happy to provide that sort of, you know, as a partnering, you know, we'll call it a lost lead early on in the, you know, and provide some cost advice from the market along with the consulting fraternity as well to um, really provide some advice early on to make sure the feasibility is correct. So we're asking some developers now if we can have our eyes on, on some sort of numbers so we can give some early advice even when a tender comes out. So um, some do, some don't because we really want that surety ourselves. So the best advice is to be smart about early advice, early partnering, uh, look for a value for money partner and look for surety of development uh, versus uh, lowest cost. Yeah, so my advice to a developer is really to try and be across what's happening in the market you're building in and to know your risks. Uh, Having a good understanding of what competing projects are underway, what the market capacity is, whether or not there's significant shortages, this is all really going to help to provide a better understanding of potential cost increases that may come across your project. So markets have been really volatile over the last couple of years and and we've seen things change quite quickly and quite dramatically as well. And this has really caught a lot of developers out and also builders, as we've seen with insolvencies. So really ensuring that you're across the market and understanding what sufficient escalation allowances are likely to occur on projects, that's really important. And we would recommend seeking advice for that, getting independent advice in some instances, more than one source as well. So that would be my advice to developers. Great. Look, um, thank you so much for your time, Matt and Tiffany. It's uh, been a fascinating conversation and there's clearly a lot to consider this year as the market unfolds. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Talking Property with CBRE. If you like the show and want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au backslash Talking Property. Subscribe through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also read our Pacific Market Arctic Report by clicking on the link in our show notes. Until next time.